minimalists. <laughs> All right, Ryan, you ready to do this? I'm ready. It's live stream number 11, although it's not so live this time. We're recording in advance so we can post it to you. I'm actually recording this on my phone today like many of the living room conversations I did. But we're doing the audio, as you can see, if, if, you're, if you're watching this. Um, we did, decided not to record it on the big camera today because it requires a lot of editing, and I wanted to get this out to you before the end of the month. We try to like, give podcast Sean as little work as possible. So yeah. uh, this is, this is going to cost him way less work, and this is still going to be just as meaningful. That's right. We have some questions for you. You upvoted your questions for live stream number 11. Let's go ahead and dive right into these uh, we'll, so we can take up the entire amount of time here. Kylie says, what are your favorite apps to use for staying organized mm. and digitally uncluttered? Weren't we, just, we were just talking about this on a podcast earlier today. Yeah, so we got a podcast coming out next week with Ryan Delk from Omni, and uh, we were talking about access versus ownership, and um, there's this article from Cal Newport, and he was writing about the sort of digital... Uh, the digital fix to digital problems. <laughs> right. The thing I was saying is it seems really quixotic to me, like trying to fix technology with technology. Uh, and so if we're having a, a problem that is steeped in technology, like if technology calls the problem, I think very rarely technology will get us out of that problem. Mm. Adding more technology, it's like fighting fire with fire. That doesn't actually work unless you're doing a controlled burn somewhere in a uh, there's a strategic sort of thing. And by the way, it still doesn't work in the sense that it stops fire. It still creates fire. It's to stop the fire from spreading even more, right? Mm. So you generally don't fight fire with fire. If your house catches on fire, Ryan, you're not going to be like, well, I need some more gasoline here to really <clears throat> put out this fire. Yeah, it's very rare cases will that where that will work. I mean, there are some there are some things I like to use. Like I really like Google Drive. Um, that to me is a lot easier than uh, using any other type of software that like a Mac would come with or a PC would come with. But that's mainly because uh, you know it's it's convenient, dude. I can share something with you. We can edit it. We can actually get in there at the same time and edit something. Right. Um, so I mean, there are certainly apps that that add value to my life. But um, I wouldn't say that there's one app that helps me stay, uh, helps me keep my digital clutter organized. Yeah. Uh, the way I keep my digital clutter organized is I just try to have as little digital clutter as possible. That, I think that that's the perfect point there, right? Like having less clutter and then using the apps to not fix the, the, the technical problems, but mm -hmm. have apps that augment what we're already trying to do. Like if I'm trying to write a book, having the right piece of software, I use a, a piece of software called Scrivener. It's great. And that works really well for writing a book, keeping everything organized. Now I could write a book by hand, you know, I could do the Bill Clinton thing and have dozens of, of yellow legal pads and then eventually retype all of those on a typewriter if I wanted to. So that's not a, a problem that's created by technology. That is a problem that is just created with yeah, having the problem is writing a book. Yeah, and and there are pieces of technology that will solve that. So Scrivener's is uh, Scrivener is a great thing. Uh, I agree with you. Google Drive for especially for sharing documents. Mm -hmm. uh, Google Calendar. We have shared Google Calendars that we use, so I yeah. can I can propose to like, hey Ryan, do you want to meet two p.m. tomorrow? Oh wait, I'm not even going to ask him because I see he he already has something at two p.m. And then maybe I can propose something like, hey, maybe we meet at four p.m. after your meeting's over, mm -hmm. and I notice we're going to be in the same neighborhood or whatever. Then we can have that meeting, and it, it avoids a lot of the back and forth going on. But again, that's not a problem that's created by technology. That's just a that that adds additional convenience. Yeah, um, I did think of one thing. What's that? Um, when it comes to digital clutter uh, photos, so there are. I mean, like I'm thinking that is one thing that I have uh, an app for. So Dropbox, but it's not really an app. 
I mean, it's more like it's a it's a it's the cloud that it's I a use. Service. Yeah, it's a service. So that particular service helps me to organize my digital digital clutter really well when it comes to photographs and stuff. So they're not sitting on my computer, sitting on a hard drive somewhere, sitting in the cloud somewhere. I kind of have them all in one place. Right. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I, I can't think of anything else I use. Someone tweeted me. They were like, and they kind of asked this very similar question. And I was like, I don't use anything. I just use the Doxy scanner to scan photos. And then you tweeted back. You're like, oh, no, we do use Dropbox. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess we do use Dropbox, like, after we scan the photos. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that, man, th- there's nothing that really stands out to me where I think, man, you got to have this because it's going to help you be more intentional with your your technology. I think what's going to help you be more tech, uh, more intentional with your technology is is you taking the action, you creating boundaries for yourself, you being very deliberate with the apps you have on your phone and the digital clutter that you have in your life. Yeah, I absolutely agree. One of the things I, I use every day is just the, I, I try to get the things that are aggressively simple. So the I, I use an Apple computer. I'm not telling you to use that. They're equivalents if you're using a PC or, or something else. Um, and then uh, it syncs with my phone really well. So I just use the the Notes program opening up the notes yep, that's a good one. And, and the two sync really well so anytime i'm writing something new if there's something i want to talk to you about uh, i have a note in my phone that's like things i want to talk to ryan about mm-hmm. we were just actually talking about this I'm like, hey there are a few other things i want i want to talk to you about and it's on my phone so i know and it gives me the sort of permission to get it out of my brain and on somewhere so i can move on to something else mm-hmm. and um so I have a today list. So it's not it's similar to a to-do list, but I, my today list, I have a tomorrow list. Like here are the things I know I want to do today. And and these are the, the, the true priorities for today. And then if it's not a true priority for today, I put it on tomorrow list. Or more important, I just delete it altogether. Mm. And and quite often I'm deleting things off that list, even if I don't complete them, because I'm like, oh, this isn't as important as I dumped it out of my head onto this list, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden it's not that important. So I give myself permission to delete it. But there's not really an app out there that's going to give you like a better list, a better way to do a list. No. <laughs> or help you organize your lists better. No. Yeah. Now we, we have uh, an acquaintance uh, who runs the bullet journal and I know that's not a piece of software, but it is, it's the hard copy of sort of mm-hmm. software, right? It's, it's, it's a type of organization with respect to having a, a journal in front of you. I know for some people that works really well. It doesn't work for me in my, my particular workflow. I don't use a whole lot of paper. I use one sort of journal at my desk. But as soon as I'm done with that, I actually get rid of the pages. Mm. I'm a big fan of deleting in my physical life mm-hmm. and in the digital life for sure. Yeah. Next question is from Karam. Karam asks, what tips do you have? for minimizing your commitments and being intentional with your time mm. so that you are not always busy. Ooh, there are very few things that Josh and I are allergic to. Yes. Actually, that's not true. Josh is allergic to a lot of things. There's only a couple things I'm allergic to. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, busy is, is one of them. Okay. Um, I, I avoid being busy at all costs. Um, you know, busy is, it's okay to have work to do. And it's okay to put your time and efforts towards something. But if you're in this position where you have taken on so much, you're so busy that you are barely keeping your head above water, yes, yeah, something absolutely has to be done. And, and that's, I avoid my, uh, I avoid getting myself in those types of situations. You got to get better at saying no. Mm. And here's the thing is that w- like when I, when I used to, or I guess when I started kind of practicing saying no, um, I was really scared that like people were going to, I don't know, react negatively towards me. Like, Lash hey, out at you. Yeah, like, hey, do you want to do this thing? No, you know what? I really, um, I don't, I have that time allocated for something else. I can't go with you to go see that movie or that concert or whatever it may be. 
and I uh, was really worried about people, yeah, like lashing back out or lashing out at me for, for not living up to their expectations. But what I realized is like my true friends, uh, the people who really love me and, and uh, want me to be happy, they support my efforts in saying no. Mm. And I can't think of one time where someone like gave me any gave me any guff for uh, telling them no or saying I wouldn't do a particular activity with them. But, but, uh, but yeah, I was really worried that, worried that that was going to happen. Right. If it did happen, uh-huh. then I would know very, I know very, very well who my true friends were and weren't. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe this is another experiment. Like, yes, you want to be able to say no more so you can be less busy, but start saying no and find out who your true friends are. Find out who really wants to support you. Yeah. And, and explaining, explaining to them why you're saying no it can often be important oh of course so 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 explaining them i'm not just saying no here's what i'm saying yes to i'm saying yes to some or some sort of alternative i'm saying no to this so i can say yes to my family i mean what kind of person is going to come to you and you're they're like hey can you help me wash my car this weekend and you're like i'm actually going to be spending time with my five-year-old daughter Mm -hmm. what you're going to say no screw you i hate you Mm -hmm. don't spend time with your daughter wash my car with me no but you're you're giving them the 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 better alternative of of how you're going to spend your time two things that i'm going to recommend so so first off it was it was uh henry david thoreau that said it's not enough to be busy the question is what are you busy about Mm -hmm. and if i were to pin that i would say what are you focused on and i wrote an essay about this you can go to the minimalists.com slash busy and it talks about i was very much the busy guy so so first thing is check out that essay and i give some practical tips to avoid being busy, avoiding the busy work, so to speak. Um, and the second thing I'm going to recommend is instead of saying I'm busy, every time you think I'm busy, busy is, is just, it's a nice word. It's a nicety to say my life is out of control. Mm. So next time you think about saying I'm busy, because it's become a status symbol in, in our culture, right? When someone's Hey, how's it going? Oh, just really busy. Don't say I'm busy next time. Next time you're, you're tempted to say I'm busy, say my life is out of control. <laughs> and if you say that, then all of a sudden you're going to realize like, oh, I was talking to my doctor the other day and he called me up on the phone mm-hmm. and he was like, hey man, uh, uh, I don't mean to bother you. I know you're busy all the time. I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> He's like, what? I'm like, don't you ever call me busy. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I was doing nothing right now. <laughs> and uh, I said, I am never busy. And if I am, then something is just really wrong. Yeah. And, and really, that, that's just because I've set my priorities straight. And I have gotten a lot better at saying no. And I continue to practice saying no. Yeah. And I still mess up. And then I have to adjust accordingly. And that's all right if, if you mess up. Uh, I just want to reiterate, when you do say no to someone, I, I wasn't just saying like, just start telling people no left and right and, and drop all of your obligations. Uh, yes, you want to you tell someone no, uh, but also tell them what you're saying yes to, why you're telling them no, what you're saying yes to. I think, I think that's a really good important point. Yeah, and, and it will reinforce it with you as well, so you yeah. you understand what your priorities are. Absolutely. Julia asks, imposter syndrome. How do I get rid of the lingering feeling of inadequacy, hmm. especially if it already turns into doing too much to keep on proving myself? So hmm. this is also this ties in really well with the busy thing. Quite often, I think we 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 feign busyness because mm. it's a sign of look at me, look how important I am. The busier I am, the more quote productive I am. 
then the 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 more adequate I am. But I think you need to realize that you already have the base level of adequacy, right? And doing more things doesn't make you more adequate. Filling this glass up that I'm holding up here, if you're listening to this on the audio, which, by the way, we'll publish the audio uh, sometime next month. But um, if if you're just if you want to fill this glass up all the way, was what ten ounces probably? Mm-hmm. That's adequate, right? I can't put twelve ounces in here. I can't mm-hmm. make it more adequate. Mm. You're already adequate. Without all the busy work, without all the additional commitments, you are fully adequate right now. And so the the imposter syndrome is this interesting thing because we feel the need to pretend that we are some other idealized version of someone else. Oh, dude, like I, it's funny because when you came to me with the minimalists, the idea to call the website the minimalists. Right. Like we had tried to brainstorm some ideas and, and you were like, dude, we got the minimalists.com. Let's, let's uh, tell our story um, with this domain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, dude, like that's a, that's a cheesy name. Right. And it's going to pigeonhole ourselves into like being the minimalists. Right. And you were like, okay, maybe that's so Ryan, but do you have a better idea? And I did not have a better idea. Yeah. So we use the minimalists, but I remember like that being, um, the imposter syndrome was, was very real with me because when we called ourselves a minimalist, I, you know, I was kind of looking in the mirror, like who am I to call myself one of the minimalists? Because I certainly am not the most perfect minimalist ever. Hmm. And, and what I've realized over the last eight years is like, it's okay that you're not perfect. It's okay. I'm not perfect. Like people don't expect perfection. Yeah. And you continue to have problems. Yeah. And yet, even though you have problems, you can still help other people solve their problems. Sure. And I think if you want to feel good about yourself and, 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 and get rid of that feeling of inadequacy, one of the best ways to do that is to help people solve problems. And that's what we've done over the course of the last eight years, I guess, mm-hmm. and, uh, ever since we started the website and then the podcast and the documentaries and the books is we've, throughout our journey of continuing to improve and grow, we've helped other people. Instead of saying I'm the absolute authority on something, I don't need to be the absolute authority. I just need to be able to help a few people and that Mm -hmm. makes me feel better. And then once you feel like you're helping people, you instantly lose that feeling of inadequacy because you realize if you're helping someone else, you are enough. Yeah, and and, you know, there might be, because I know that the other side of the imposter syndrome, it's when someone kind of projects uh, a life um, on social media that they really don't live. Uh, so, so that is, that's incongruency. Right. So, so if, if the imposter syndrome is coming from incongruency, then yeah, something needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, you, you've you, got to start living a more congruent life. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, sorry, I was just moving that glass. Uh, one, two, three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, I think that sometimes we get worried because we have these two different sides of life. And if that is the problem, then, then we need to find a way to, in, it's not the work life balance. Life it involves work. It involves family. We always talk about this weird thing, like work life balance. Mm. We don't talk about family slash life balance. Right. We don't talk about, uh, movie watching slash slash life balance. These are all parts of of life, and when we feel incongruent. That can make us feel like imposters, right? Yeah. And, and and so I think the best way to do that is figure out how do we integrate all of these elements. It's like uh, a soup instead of having different plates with different portions on each plate. Bettina asks, "What would you recommend for people who have gone past the decluttering?" phase and are now trying to be more deliberate and mindful 
about other areas in life. For example, diet, sleep, exercise, reading habits, etc. Bettina, you asked 17 questions in your one question. Bravo. <laughs> it is hard to keep up with everything, but also not efficient if you only focus on one thing at a time. Uh, it depends on what you mean by efficient, right? I mean, when has being efficient um, been the main objective? If that's the main objective, then then having an efficient life is my, it's not my objective. My objective is to live a meaningful life. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes that just means incremental changes in each of these areas. Mm -hmm. So last week, I guess it's this week, it just came out, uh, they were recording this, so we'll have this video out in a couple of days. Uh, I did a podcast with my doctors, uh, Dr. Tommy Woods and, and, and Christopher Kelly and, from Nourish Balance Thrive. And we talked about the incremental improvements I've made over the course of the last two years, but it was just that. It, it wasn't a, well, I need to change everything 180 degrees. That, I think Bettina's right. You're, that would absolutely be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But what if I made this one change? I, I stopped drinking caffeine afternoon. That, that helps out with sleep. Mm -hmm. um, what if um, exercise, instead of worrying about working out an hour a day, what if it was 18 minutes a day? That's what I do now. Yeah. Um, with, with diet, what if it was about removing sugar from your diet? You know, the more I think about her question, I think I, I disagree with you a bit. Uh, I disagree with her a bit when she talks about how focusing on one thing is inefficient. Because if, so what did she list there? Reading, diet, what else? Uh, sleep, exercise, etc. Okay, so I would be overwhelmed too. Yeah. If that was my list of things to do. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to do better on all those things. Sure. Um, what, what I would recommend is choose one thing and focus on it. If it's reading, then start reading every single day and push everything else off of your plate. If you've got a list of 10 things on your plate that you're trying to start fresh with, okay, so today I'm going to start reading more. I'm going to start sleeping better. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to start exercising. Dude. I'll have the perfect life oh in my 24 hours. God, that's impossible. Yeah. That, so no offense, but I think maybe relook at it a little bit and, and consider maybe just focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah, and the, the nice thing about that is once you build up the habit, it becomes second nature. And mm -hmm. so for me, I do 60 pull-ups a day, virtually every day. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I do that is every time I go to the bathroom, there's a pull-up bar above my bathroom door. And so I just do six pull-ups as I go under there. And if I go to the bathroom 10 times in a day, you know, between taking a shower and yeah. I do 60 pull-ups, right? Yeah, and, and you walk a lot. I, I absolutely do. You, you go to bed early, you try to get good sleep. Yes. But dude, never was there a day where you came to me and you're like, Ryan, today I'm going to start walking a lot. I'm going to do 60 pull-ups and I'm going to start getting better sleep. Yeah. It never. was it was absolutely kind of layered on top of each other. I mean, I think about just with diet and exercise, for me, it was exercise. Uh -huh. I, I wasn't, I mean, I've always been, um, you know, concerned and, and try to do good with my diet, I guess just as much as anyone else. Uh -huh. But I feel like it wasn't until I really got that exercise habit under control and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, God, I've been exercising a lot. Like, you know, because your standards raise when you right. start exercising. You start losing weight. Then you start to notice all the other weight you need to lose. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I really, really need to start eating better. Uh -huh. And every time I make a decision to eat a cookie or to go out and eat the ice cream or or drink the the, the six extra shots of Jameson, uh, I'm, I'm getting more of this and this and, and, and these love handles and these rolls and I don't want to get that anymore. Yeah. But it almost took like me 
exercising to to find that leverage to to motivate myself to then incorporate a much better diet mm. so I mean I guess it's just another way of saying these habits it's not just about um, you know building a habit so you're on autopilot I think that's a really important part like to, to have these good habits on autopilot right well, th- well my point was that then you build on top of it so if once you once the reading thing is taken care of and you're, you're doing that every day then it's easier to add the next thing because you, you, yeah. you've already you already, already established this habit and some of these things feed into each other too like once you build up one good habit uh-huh. then it will just like with the exercise it feeds into the diet piece of it so yeah. now I've got this good exercise habit now I have again more leverage more motivation to to eat a better diet instead of waking up one morning and saying today it's going to be better diet and better exercise from here on out that's yeah. uh i i have done that before and i i have i don't think that's ever been successful for me once yeah i think i think the best place to start is probably exercise and here's why i say this it, um, if you can exercise for 18 minutes a day, because guess what? You have 18 minutes. You have an extra 18 minutes somewhere in the day. And I recommend starting first thing in the morning. First, as soon as you get out of bed, immediately you go exercise for those 18 minutes. And you can check out my 18-minute routine over at the website, theminimalists.com slash 18min, M-I-N. Um, and if you go there and, and you look at it, 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 I'm exhausted by the end of 18 minutes. But here's the thing. You've already set your day up for success. You already have the small victory at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. And then anything else on top of that, if you do something else that is a, an additional habit, it's all gravy from that point. Plus that additional exercise, it makes you feel better. And, 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 and it stimulates you in a way where you feel you feel good. And if you feel good, then you're more likely to make... It's, it's, set, it's setting up the dominoes to make better choices throughout the rest of the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Next question is from Daniel. Daniel asks, my wife has one year left of nursing school. Oh my God. I thought you were, I thought it was gonna be like my wife has one year left to live. <laughs> like, oh, this is about to get deep. <laughs> uh, one year left of nursing school and I am continuing to work at my corporate engineering job in the meantime to pay off her tuition. So we were out of student debt when she is finished. Wow. Bravo. What advice do you have for couples when it gets overwhelmingly frustrating dealing with the constraints that come with working the plan? Mm. Well, bravo. I mean, it, it, here's 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 where I'll differentiate bet- between where you are right now and where I was in the corporate world because I was also overwhelmingly frustrated but there was no light at the end of the tunnel for me. It was work 80 hours this week, and the next week it was another 80 hours, and there was really no light. And that's why I turned to rampant consumerism because that was the... That was the only thing that I thought was going to fill the void. Like I needed something to make me feel good because this sure as shit isn't making me feel good. But the thing that's going to make you feel good is you you have these little victories to celebrate right now. Which, you, these are huge victories, by the way. Yeah, ultimately it's going to be a big victory. Yeah, but I mean, but, but each week, each time you make a payment, yeah, boom, that's another victory. Absolutely. Yeah, and so there are free things that you can do to celebrate these victories. And so what I would do if I were in your shoes, Daniel, you and your wife, do something that is going to cost you no money or very little money once a week to celebrate whatever the victory is that week and then acknowledge it. You know, one thing that was fascinating that uh, I really should start doing more. I love more. that idea, man. Like going to a movie or something like a yeah, seven yeah. bucks each, spending 14 bucks to go to a movie. Right. Or, or literally it could be as something as, as, as cliche as going to see a sunset on a Friday Which night. Which is free. It's absolutely free. But what you're doing is you're cementing that, that, that victory and you're talking about why are we doing this today? And then you realize, I mean, the sunset's nice because it's also a metaphor 
before of literally seeing the light. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we uh, we had our friends uh, Nate and Rochelle over. They were staying with us for a week uh, last month. And um, one thing they do every morning, we did it together a few times. It was it was beautiful. I don't know why we didn't keep doing it after they left, but I'm going to talk to Bex about doing it in the mornings. Um, they have a gratitude practice where where they just like they talk about. They, they do it together instead of like the gratitude journaling. Mm. Um, Nate would be like, all right, Rochelle, today here are three things I'm grateful for. And he would like say them to her. Mm. And, like, and they would talk about those three things, not just like, all right, here's my list of three things I'm grateful for. Like they would talk about it. And then he would say, here's three, three things I'm looking forward to for mm. the day. And we all four shared it in the mornings. At first, it was a little awkward because we weren't used to doing it. But just like anything, if you play basketball for the first time, you're going to be awkward as hell. You're going to go play dodgeball with me tonight. Can't and, wait. And it's awkward the first few times. You're like, uh-oh, I just got hit in the chest with a dodgeball. And <laughs> and you realize like it's awkward at first, but then you get used to it. And I think the same thing with the gratitude practice. You don't have to wait for every big victory. You don't have to wait to the end of the year to celebrate. You can celebrate every week. Mm-hmm. And, and just acknowledge these small victories that you have. All right, so let's go over the three things one more time. Yes. The, uh, it is um, finding the small victories yes. and celebrating those. Yeah. What were the other two? Uh, uh, encapsulating the, you, you want to encapsulating, the, you want some sort of experience to signify those victories. Okay, so celebrating the victories, uh, finding an experience that solidifies, that cements, like, yes, I did do a good job, and here's my reward. Yes, and we then, all need rewards, really. Yes, yeah. and, then, and then having gratitude, but but having gratitude out loud, mm. out loud gratitude is really important. That's a good one. You know, the, the one thing I'll add to that is, uh, well, I guess it's not really a practice you can do as much as it is a perspective. But for me, um, with exercising, for example, yeah, um, being at the gym, I very rarely am excited to be at the gym. Um, I'm always excited after I've went to the gym. You don't like working out like you like having worked out. Right, exactly. And uh, while I'm at the gym, um, I, every single time, every single time I'm at the gym, there's some there's a voice in my head that's like, let's just do three sets instead of four sets. Mm. Let's just do four exercises instead of five exercises. And I always try to like bargain with myself to kind of chop out a little bit of my workout because I'm, you know, I just, I don't really love uh, uh, working out like that, um, I will just think to myself, like, dude, I am making an investment into my future self. Yeah. The reason why I work out, it's not to have these massive guns, Josh. It's just a great side effect. It is. <laughs> I'm intimidated as shit right no, now. No, dude, I, I work out, man, because I want to be a really, really healthy 60-year-old. Mm. Like, I really want to be 60 and enjoy being 60. When I think about uh, my my grandfather, who uh, he passed away several several years ago. Um, at 60 years old, I mean, he didn't look like he was living a very good mm. life at 60, yeah. and and it, and it was you know definitely due to the health decisions that he made. So for this plan that you have uh, with your financial plan, you are you are basically taking these actions to help your financial self, your 60 year old financial self. So when it comes to this particular plan you're talking about, you know, it's not the it's not being able to walk up a flight of stairs without any problem at 60, but it is being able to, uh, you know, go on a vacation if that's what you want to do um, at 60. So And not be burdened by a particular lifestyle. I mean, basically what you're saying is I'm going to have this little bit of pain right now. I'm mm-hmm. willing to have this big pain now so I don't have suffering in my future. Yeah. I don't want my future self to suffer. Yeah, that's great. That's pithy. <laughs> Katie mm. asks, Josh, I know you and Rebecca raise Ella 
with minimalism. I'm a recent adopter of minimalism, and I'm seeking how to guide my four-year-old son through an intentional life. He's so used to grandparents giving him things. How do you teach Ella the difference between brief happiness from things and deeper contentment from experiences? Mm. I think this is the same way you teach adults, but it's actually easier for kids because they tend to live in the moment, right? So one of the things you need to do is, is find a way to get on the same page or at least the same book with the grandparents, right? I mean, that, that's one thing for me that um, the, the people in my life know how I feel about superfluous gifts. Ella has the things she needs, but also we need to learn as minimalists not to just impose our own interests our own desires our own preferences for things onto a four or a five-year-old ella's five we just took her to the toy warehouse recently and bought her several things yeah and you want to encourage her preferences like you want to encourage her to have her own preferences yes by taking her to the toy store that's a great way to do that Absolutely, and and she was buying. She won the. She bought this hospital erector set thing, and I was like trying to talk her out of it several <laughs> times, but like in a nice way. Like, are you sure you want that? Yes, I want this one, and she wants to do surgery on these little dolls or whatever. But that that's her thing, and you know what? So be it. And, and uh, that's not me forcing toys onto her though. But and then I think also the thing that we can do with respect to experiences is. We can gift experiences on these holidays. So with Ella, for example, her fifth birthday was just a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we all went to Disneyland with her and brought a few other awesome. kids. And I've it, never seen a little girl have so much fun in my life. Yes. That was it, awesome. It was the, the borderline of terror and fun, <laughs> it which was is like the, the best kind of it fun. It was the perfect mix. Yes, yes, indeed. So I, I think it, re- it really means that we focus more on the experiences we're having. And then when it comes to the stuff, when we have excess stuff and she hasn't played with something in a while... Then we ask Ella to, to donate it. And so she'll go to the Goodwill with us and she'll drop the toys off. And uh, we, we often ask her to tell the guy, can you give these to some other kid who can play with them because I'm not playing with them anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, not having kids, it's really easy for me to give advice. But I think there are two things um, that I really uh, consider when I think about raising kids and trying to help them be minimalist. The first is, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to just tell your kids what they can and can't do. I mean, uh, in... In uh, Joshua Becker's book, oh my, minimalism with kids, clutter free uh, with kids, clutter free with kids, kids. Um, it's uh, he makes a really good point in there about how we want to set boundaries for our kids. We don't want to just sit there and tell them what they can and can't do. So, uh, what are where I'm going with this is talk to your kids. I mean, if they're at an age where you can have a little bit of a conversation with them, but help them to create the boundaries with you. Instead of imposing boundaries on them, talk about the boundaries that you create and why you're creating those. Uh, The other thing uh, too is say yes as much as you can. So like, I'm just thinking if Ella came to you and was like, hey, uh, can we go buy a toy? Yes, we can go buy a toy and then we're going to go donate it to a kid that really, really needs it. Yeah, that's actually worked really well for me and it's something that, that Bex struggles with. Um, cause our, our, and our default setting with kids, cause they're always constantly asking for something and Bex has to deal with Ella a whole lot more than I do. Um, 
our default setting is to say no. No, shut no, it down. no, no. And so I've found ways to say yes and. And, right. and that, that example you gave was, was a really good example. All right, we're running out of time, but we have one more upvoted question here. I think this was one of the, the top two most popular ones from Swoop. Swoop I'll says, be the judge of that. <laughs> no, it's like they upvoted it. Oh. Uh, hey there. Um, from Paris. Paris, France here. I have a well-paying job, and I'm quite good at it, but I'm kind of tired of the industry I'm working in. I'm tired of dealing with the same problems every time I want to shift completely. But the thing is, I don't have a clue about what kind of job would be good for me. Any advice to help me uh, find and define what to do next? Thanks for uh, keeping. Thanks for the good work. Okay, here's the one thing about finding the perfect job. To to try and find a job that you enjoy so much, you don't feel like you're working a day in your life is a very poor expectation. Mm. There are people out there who are living that. I'm absolutely sure of that, but is it is an exception to the rule. Um, Josh and I, we're living the dream. Like I love what I do. Josh loves what he what he does. Uh, we we really enjoy going on tour. We enjoy uh, meeting uh, our, our readers and listeners face to face. We love doing these live uh, these live Patreon sessions for you guys. You guys are awesome. But we work our asses off. We work a lot. And with all that touring comes a lot of flights and comes comes a lot of other nuances that we have to put up with. And, and owning a business, there's those nuances that, that yeah. we have to do. We have administrative we still have to, work. Yeah, we still got to do administrative work. We still have to pay taxes. Bah. So so for me, when I uh, with my with my mentoring students, um, when this question comes up, what I encourage them to do is first and foremost get clear on what your your values are and what your beliefs are for that matter, because that is where. Uh, th- that is where I think a lot of people go wrong is they have a job that, that is out of alignment with their values and beliefs. Um, I think about when I was in the telecommunications world and I was selling cell phones to those five-year-olds um, while I was selling it to their parents for their five-year-olds. Um, that was really not in alignment with my values and beliefs. That was in alignment with selling more cell phones. Yeah. Um, and it felt really icky to do something uh, that wasn't in alignment with my, with my values and beliefs. So first and foremost, get clear on that. And then try to find a job that maybe it serves some of those values and beliefs. Maybe it's ambivalent towards your values and beliefs. That's okay too. Um, I, I, I think ultimately what I would go for, like if I had to go back and find a regular nine to five, I would look for a job that allowed me time to focus on those values and beliefs. If it was, uh, what's important to me? Spending time with Mariah, that's really important to me. So I'd make sure that my job allowed me to have plenty of time to spend with Mariah. Um, I also like spending time with my my friends and, and family. So I wanna make sure to, that my job allows time for that. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not, Killing puppies, so I got to make sure that uh, my job uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, involve killing puppies. I don't know why I always go to killing puppies. <laughs> I know what Freud would say. <laughs> you want to have sex with your father? That's what Freud would say. Uh, yeah, I, I think Ryan, the, the the values thing is is so important. As opposed to saying what is the ideal job for me, maybe just ask what are your values, and then how can I help people solve their problems in a way that aligns with my values. Now you can do that as an entrepreneur, so you can go off on your own, start a business, and do that yourself. That's what Ryan and I decided to do. Mm-hmm. But you can. There are a lot of companies and corporations and nonprofits, um, and and even big corporations that can help people. I mean, that's what corporations do. Quite often, they provide a good or service that. That, that makes up for a, a need that someone has. That's solving a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can find a place that solves problems that is in a line with whatever those values are. And I think uh, we did a living room conversation on YouTube recently with TK Coleman. And one thing he talked about is if you're working toward a more ideal job, it's not about taking the giant leap. 
from I hate this job to what's the perfect job for me. No, the immediate thing is to, to to do right now is find something that you hate less. Yeah, maybe you can just get a little bit forward on that spectrum, a little closer to a job that you absolutely love. Yeah, and the only caveat I would add in there that, that maybe I would be a, a slight distinction from what TK would have to say is I, I would say find a job you hate less, but also one that does align with your values because you don't want to do something that is against the person that you want to become. I am unhappiest when my short-term actions are not in alignment with my long-term values and beliefs. Yeah. Like that is when I am by far the most miserable. Yeah. Um, the other thing too that they talked about in their question was they're tired of the same old problems coming up. I, I don't know exactly what those problems are, mm-hmm. but I would be very, very careful on choosing what problems you are trading for the problems that you currently hate. Because I hate paying taxes and I hate going through all the receipts and I hate getting really bad, crappy flights and when they're late and delayed and then it stresses me out because uh, we might be late to the venue. And I mean, there are so many things that the problems that come up that I don't like. But when I think about the other problems that I could choose to take on, um, it actually makes those problems not seem so bad. Yeah, the key is to not get rid of your problems, but to but to improve your problems, to in time get better problems. Mm. And so you're always going to have problems. Otherwise, your life is not going to be interesting at all. If you have no problems whatsoever, that, that sounds like a type of imprisonment to me where you're just, I, mean, I could sit in this room every day and and have no problems whatsoever, but eventually I will. That that in and of itself, itself will become a problem, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it's not to live a problem-free life. It's to live a life with better problems. Your problems constantly improve as your life constantly improves. All right, we're way over time, y'all. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. We really appreciate it. Yes, y'all are awesome. Um, the Melbourne event is going to come out on the... Uh, the first Melbourne event is going to come out on the live stream, uh, the, the Minimalist Podcast, private podcast feed uh, this weekend. So this I think this is coming out on Thursday. Oh, tomorrow is my birthday. So if you want to give me a birthday gift, we're trying to build a grocery store in, uh, well, in Dayton, Ohio, our hometown one of the largest food deserts in the country. If you want to give $37 for my 37th birthday, man, I would really appreciate that. I know Ryan would appreciate it. We're trying to raise $100,000. Ryan and I are donating $20,000 of our own money. Also, all the profits from our upcoming tour, the Simply Southern Tour, which is uh, in July. Uh, So it's just coming up in in a few weeks. Uh, 100% of the profits from that tour, we're going out with the Dave Ramsey team, um, Chris Hogan, Rachel Cruz, Anthony O'Neill, we're going to be in Alabama, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Coming out and see us, 100% of the profits from that go to help us build this grocery store in our hometown, Dayton, Ohio, uh, the second hungriest city in the United States for families with children. You can help us give back in that way as well. That can help us solve a problem. You can be part of the solution. So yeah. theminimalists.com slash Dayton if you want to give me a birthday gift. You can do that right now. And if all you do is give Josh a Twitter high five that would be acceptable too we appreciate any support y'all give us yes indeed thank you so much y'all we'll see you next time see ya the minimalists